Welcome to the Union Tribune's Aztecs Hoopla podcast. My name is Jay Posner. I'm the sports editor, joined as always by our Aztecs basketball beat writer, Mark Ziegler. Mark's back from Las Vegas, but unlike the Aztecs, who have, I believe, 12 days between games, Mark will not be taking all those 12 days off. I might give you maybe one or two days, Mark. <laughs> nice guy that you are. Exactly. But make sure you do some expense reports on those uh, on, <laughs> on those days. Sure. But uh, you've written a lot about what happened over the weekend, obviously, with the Utah State game, which was odd in the sense that, you know, it came just 24 hours or not even 24 hours after the the opposite had happened, where the Aztecs had fallen behind by 16 against Boise State, came roaring back and got a victory to go into the finals against another team they'd beaten twice this year, Utah State. Got off to a, I don't want to say a hot start, but I guess a good start. I mean, they played really well defensively, but I felt like, and I I think I even texted you at one point using a term that we always joke about in soccer, about whether the Aztecs would be ruining some missed opportunities. It, It just felt like when Utah State went 13 minutes without scoring, that the Aztecs should have been up by more than 16. It felt like, you know, they could have been up by 22, 24, and at that point you figure, okay, they're probably safe. But they didn't play all that well either uh, offensively in that span, and so they ended up blowing the lead. It came down to the last couple shots. Aztecs' best player missed a three. Utah State's best player made even a more difficult three. What what do you take from that game based on kind of what happened at the end? Was there anything that you felt like the Aztecs could have done differently in those last couple couple possessions, both offensively and defensively? No, I think both teams played it pretty textbook and, and, and did everything that they wanted to do. I mean, the Aztecs, Malachi Flynn got an open three, and, and they what happened in the play before, they'd run a, a play where they, they uh, Matt Mitchell comes up from the baseline and sets a ball screen and Malachi Flynn dribbles left, which is his preferred direction. And Utah State screwed up the switch. They they weren't sure if they were going to switch or if Sam Merrill, who was guarding uh, Malachi Flynn, was going to come over the top of it and stay on him or go under it. And he got he just kept going and then just stopped and pulled up and shot a really easy for him 15-footer, and they scored. And that had put them ahead by a point. So after Utah State, and Sam Merrill got fouled and tied it, well, he didn't really get fouled. He committed a foul, and yeah. <laughs> he committed a foul that wasn't called, and then got a foul called on him that probably wasn't a call. But anyway, that was just it was one point at that at that time because he actually missed a free throw, which he almost which never is very rare yeah, for he him. Never yeah. does. So anyway, it's tied, and Utah State called timeout, not San Diego State. Utah State called timeout, probably to discuss what just happened, mm-hmm. saying, "Okay," because right after Malachi Flynn went over that ball screen and scored, Sam Merrill. If you watch the replay puts his arms up and kind of shrugs like, whoa, what are we doing here? <laughs> right, so they right. were confused. And I think they knew what was coming. And San Diego State, to its credit, of course you're going to run the same play. Let's see how they, uh, let's see how they defend it this time. So uh, they, they called a timeout to get themselves straightened out, and they decided to switch it. So they ran the same play. Matt Mitchell comes up, sets the ball screen, and Malachi comes off the ball screen. And, and, uh, and Justin Bean, 6'7", not very fleet of foot, is on him. So he drives hard at him and then steps back a little bit and had plenty of space to shoot what is really his trademark shot. Left side, mm-hmm. step back, three-pointer. I mean, I've seen him practice it hundreds of times a day, and he just missed it. And I, I don't think you can really blame them, him for taking it and blame 
them for when he took it in the shot clock. It really didn't matter if they took it early or late. Utah State was still going to get the ball back with probably like 9 or 10 seconds minimum, probably more like a minimum of 15 right. to 20. And the, and their possession was going to be the same thing if he missed it. Uh, they were going to you know, run, the, run it down and take the last shot and either go to overtime or win the game. And, and on, on Utah State's last play, they did the right thing by not calling timeout, got into a 1-4 low set where they pushed everybody on the baseline to deter help. And San Diego State had their best defender on Utah State's best player, and he made an incredibly hard shot. And if you look at the, the, the slow-motion replay, slow, super slow-motion, K.J. Fagan's hand actually contacts uh, the shooting arm and shooting wrist of Sam Merrill as he's as release, releasing the ball. I'm not sure it was a foul, but as, as close as you can get without fouling him and being in great defense. So you really can't complain either way for the shot the Aztecs got or the shot that they defended one went in one didn't right I, I, I think sometimes people are always looking for you know someone to blame and you know it's usually the coach is, is the first one but I, I'm not sure in this case that you could blame either coach you know for what they did it seemed like they both got what they wanted and you know sometimes guys miss shots I mean nobody nobody makes 100% of their shots I mean you know Michael Jordan didn't make all the game winning or or any all the shots he took either and I I, I just couldn't I couldn't think about anything that could have been done differently, and, and you explained it well there. Coming off of that, though, and our, our colleague Bryce Miller, I thought, wrote a really good column after the game, just talking about the Aztecs and kind of what kind of team they are right now and, and how, you know, this is not the same team that, you know, clobbered Creighton, beat BYU, came back and beat Iowa. Uh, even the same team that, you know, I guess it's been almost two and a half weeks or so that went up to Boise and, and just, you know, beat Boise State uh, really quite easily uh, in, a, in a difficult environment. And, and since then, and there were some, a few warning signs before then, but look, you're not going to go through. I mean, this, this is not a super team. I mean, let's, let's be honest. I mean, this is a very good team, but this is not a team that's just going to go out and dominate all of its opponents. It's going to have some close games. It's going to have some halves where they you know lose a first half or something like that. But obviously the last couple of weeks and then into the tournament, a little bit, I guess, unsettling maybe is the word. Where are you on kind of what kind of team this is right now and, and what's a little bit different uh, than we saw you know earlier in the season or even at Boise in the middle of last month? Well, I think there's two sort of uh, components here. One is them. Are they the same team? Probably not quite the same team. Certainly not the same team they were in late December uh, and, and in the non-conference when they had Nathan Mensa as, as a rim protector. Their, their defense is a little bit different. Uh, their offense is a little bit different. Yanni Wetzel's being asked to do quite a bit defensively and, and you know, can wear him down offensively. Uh, and so... Yeah, they're not they're not the same team when you look at uh, you know all different kinds of metrics and advanced metrics and and the one that's really staggering to me and you look at and I wrote this um, a couple weeks ago about how much time they they spend trailing in basketball games uh, and and through the most part through the season I mean they almost never trailed I mean it was I mean like something like eighteen or twenty of their games they trailed for less than two minutes it's just staggering hmm. and and recently they've been trailing quite a bit in games. Um, and so, uh, you know, that's one thing that's, that, that, that's certainly a warning sign. And if you look at, you know, if they beat Boise State to go 26-0 and and dominated that game, and since then they lose to, to UNLV, they almost lose to Colorado State at home. Both those games are at home. Then they win at Nevada, but they're down 13. They have to come back from 13 down in a tough environment to win that game. 
then they come into the conference tournament. They're down eight to a 12 and 20 Air Force team that just fired its coach. Then they play Boise State, and they're down 16 and have to come back and win that. And then they play Utah State, and they're up 16 and blow that lead. So there's just a lot of wobbling with the wheels. But the second thing that's going on is that everyone else isn't the same. And as basketball seasons go on, and remember, this is a very veteran team that came roaring out of the gates. A lot of guys who'd been there and, and, and done that and been through the college basketball wars. They were ready for the start of the season this year. They were way ahead of, you know, you talk about spring training and pitchers and uh, you know, and hitters who's who's further ahead and all that, and offenses and defenses who's further ahead coming out of uh, summer uh, preseason camp in the NFL. Well, it's kind of the same thing. They just came roaring out of the gate. They were way ahead of everybody else. Now teams are starting to catch up. Younger teams, they're freshmen, really are no longer freshmen. They've mm-hmm. been played in. So a team like Colorado State is much different than the one they played on December 4th with a bunch of freshmen who never played in a conference game before. And a team like Utah State went one and four for a stretch in, in January. They had a lot of injuries, a lot of behind the scenes drama. They sorted that out. They're a different team. They're a much better team. So I think it's the combination of that. It takes, you know, having some issues and, and not being able to sustain their their level as long in games as they were before, and other teams just getting better uh, at this time of year. Uh, and and be able to match that effort uh, for longer stretches as well. Yeah, those are those are great points. And I wonder if somehow because they kept winning uh, after after Mensa was sidelined with the pulmonary embolism, if we kind of overlooked his importance because you know the Aztecs went another I don't know what eight weeks or so without losing, uh, and so you just kind of figured okay, well yeah sure they're. Uh, they're probably a better team with him, but you know they've adjusted, and Mitchell Mitchell's in the starting lineup, and you know the bench isn't as strong as it was, but you know it, it hasn't really bothered him. But I, I guess, which brings us to the idea of whether Mensa is going to be back or not. But it seems now that you know maybe they need Mensa more than we thought they needed him when they were just you know continuing to rampage through through the schedule. So where are we on Nathan Mensa at this point, and what would be your best guess? in terms of whether he's cleared in time to play the first weekend of the tournament or if the Aztecs, you know, can get out of Sacramento the second weekend? Well, if you look at, you know, the big question here is is the standard of care for, uh, recommended standard of care for a pulmonary embolism is three months of anticoagulants or blood thinners. And that's really the big number there, three months. Um, and three months, want- just three months is not, I guess he didn't go on the blood thinners until very late in December, right? So, yeah, so, so we're probably three months at, would be we'd be looking at at kind of the last few days of March, right? Yeah, so probably the second weekend, the mm-hmm. middle weekend of the NCAA tournament would probably be about three months. Uh, and so the question is, can he get cleared a week, basically a week early? Right. The chances of him coming back and practicing this week are very slim. And so, uh, as I understand it, so I think you're looking at is he going to get cleared for the the two games in Sacramento, and if they survive those. Uh, or, or would it be they'd have to survive those and he'd get cleared the following week? Uh, and, you know, it becomes a liability issue, I think, at a certain point. A doctor has to sign off on it, and, you know, and, and the doctor is on the line uh, if something were to go wrong. And, and then you, you get the university's risk management uh, department involved, and, you know, with coronavirus going around, I'm, I'm sure their, their antennas are, are quite heightened to risk right now. Sure and liability. And so, you know, they're probably going to have to sign off as well to get him back before those three months. Um, but I know he's seen a ton of specialists. He's, he's had a ton of blood work. My understanding is that everything's been good so far. Everything is on track 
uh, for him possibly to get cleared next week. But this is a completely situation completely out of the coach's hands. Brian Dutchers, I think, has done a very good job of sort of divorcing himself and not trying to put pressure on on anybody in the medical profession to 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 clear him or or say you know we really need him. It would be great to have him back. He just taken a step back and done what a veteran coach would do, who sees the bigger picture and just said, look, you do what's best for the kid, knowing that he really wants to get back, um, and and they'll make a decision. Um, and, and, you know, we'll probably find out, you know, in the middle of next week. I suspect if he does get cleared, it'll probably only be a day or two before uh, that game, uh, in the first game of the NCAA tournament. He might not even have a, a full practice in contact. Uh, he might just get, you know, put a uniform on and go out there and play. I mean, it, it could be that close. Right. Uh, I know you're going to write about this today, and which will be online, uh, you know, later this afternoon or this evening for people, depending on when people are hearing this. Uh, but that brings us to the next point, which is what are the Aztecs going to do with all this time off? Um, you know, they, they've had two days off already in terms of, of Sunday and Monday. Uh, we're taping this on Tuesday morning. They're not going to play again until a week from Friday, which I believe is the 20th uh, in Sacramento. So what's Brian Dutcher's plan for this? And it's certainly unusual. I mean, the Aztecs, have, I don't think, have been in this position because even if you get – eliminated from the conference tournament uh, on the first day, that's still like five or six fewer days than these guys are going to have right now. Yeah, and basketball, you know, basketball is such a rhythm sport. So there, there's advantages and disadvantages to this. And, and the advantage, obviously, is it allows them really rest. And I think there's probably been a residual effect when we, you know, talk earlier about what's happened to this team, the same team. When, when Nathan Mensah went out, it really increased the minutes, um, the meaningful minutes for the starters and they were in a lot and, and, and then it gets compounded because they're not just in playing more minutes, but they're playing more minutes in really stressful situations where you really are locked in and, and going hard um, because the games are getting closer uh, and they're not dominating teams as much. And so I think there's a residual effect where they just wore down a little bit. The starters wore down and you start seeing more and more guys, you know, you, instead of just having one guy be off on the night, you'd have two or maybe three guys with really dead legs. And so uh, this really gives them a chance to rest legs and, and kind of rejuvenate. Now the risk on that is you get rusty and it's a rhythm sport and you lose your rhythm. And if you, you know, all you got to do is look to the only kind of stretch that was similar to this was during finals week. And I think they had 10 days off where they had two weeks off before they played Utah and they purposely scheduled NAIA San Diego Christian college, uh, four days before that. So they had 10 day break before they played Christian and, and they did that just, because they knew they were going to be rusty. And if you remember that game, and one of the things I'll write about is they were, I think they were behind uh, in the first half of that game. Uh, and, and it was certainly close for a lot longer than you'd expect it to be for a team that really wasn't a very good NAI team this year uh, and doesn't have the athleticism or the size of the Aztecs, and it shouldn't have been close at all. But they were rusty. And, uh, and so that is the big risk. And so I think what their plan is is to balance rest with with rust and they'll they're hopefully will have a scrimmage against they're going to try to get some of their former uh players and the new ncaa rule allows certain number of practices with former players who just happen to be in town and you can could sort of mass those together and have a scrimmage against them they did it in the preseason once and it was really successful i think it really helped them and i think they're going to try to gather up some guys guy like jamal franklin is one guy they're going to ask he plays in the Chinese League, which has been postponed, so he's back home. Trey Kell is coming off an injury. He's now healed. He's in town. Valentine Azundu, uh, the shop blocker from a few years ago, his big you know, size mm-hmm. presence will give him uh, that to look at. 
he's in town. So, you know, they'll take a, as many as they can find, and they'll add some walk-ons, and they'll get refs, and they'll just play a very informal scrimmage. But it'll just give them – they'll go against somebody other than themselves. And, and so I think that'll be the second component of it. You think they'll try to set it up even kind of with a, a little bit of a game situation with clocks and uh, and the scoreboard just to give it a, a, a little bit of atmosphere? Yeah, I mean, the first one they did in the Jam Center, so it wasn't like in an arena. I, I, you know, I would think if they had their, you know, depending on what the VIA schedule is, if they had their choice, they'd probably um, want to have it in VIA Arena in case, you know, to also to give you the players the feel of playing in an empty arena uh, in case that it comes to that with coronavirus at, at the NCAA tournament. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, they'll do that. The one issue they ran into before was that they, they had like, I think they had five, maybe six alums, uh, but they weren't in great shape because it was after their seasons, they just taken breaks. They hadn't, you know, sort of ramped up again to, to, to get back into it. And, uh, after their professional seasons. And so, uh, they kind of got tired after, uh, basically a half. And oh, so, okay. uh, right. that will be the interesting thing to see of how long they can sustain. Now, Jamal Franklin's in ridiculous shape, so he could probably play forever, but I'm not sure with the other guys, how long they could, could actually go, but that's my guess is they'll, they'll try to make it as game like as possible. They bring in actual NCAA officials who live in town has got, who have, you know, maybe have nothing going on or just around and, and, um, and then they try to go from there. So they can make some bad calls just so they can kind of stay in rhythm with, <laughs> with, how, they, with how the games will be uh, officiated in the tournament uh, as well. Absolutely. Right. And I'm Absolutely. assuming, and, and unfortunately, they're probably not going to get Kawhi Leonard to come and play in the in one of these uh, They in, joked in about it, yeah. Either, they, they joked about getting him. Yeah, <laughs> no, I don't think he would. Although, you know, knowing him, he's such a loyal guy. If they asked him, he probably would try to make it. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, I haven't looked at the Clippers' schedule, but uh, if, there was, uh, if there was a few hours, he could, uh, he could come down here and, and play. This weekend, actually this week, I guess, conference tournaments, uh, with the exception of the Ivy League, which canceled uh, today, are scheduled for all week. Uh, the WCC final is tonight. With Gonzaga playing St. Mary's, I, I doubt that that'll have any impact. I think even if Gonzaga were to lose, they would probably still get a one seed over the Aztecs, right? Yeah, I think so, and I don't think they're going to lose. I right? Think no, they're so I don't much either. Better than St. Mary's. Um, although it's weird how they had all those tough games with uh, with USF uh, during the regular season, and again last night. But it's you know we've talked before; it's a matchups. Uh, a lot of times, it's about matchups, and there must have been something about the those teams but uh in terms of seeding it seems the consensus now is the aztecs would be a two seed and remind us again what the committee said when they were here a few weeks ago about two seeds and because i have seen a couple bracket people have the aztecs as a two seed but moving them back east like putting them in the same regional as dayton i guess on the theory that you would have the um the weakest one seed would get the strongest two seed in the region, but the committee said that's really not how it works, right? Right. It, what it told us when they were here in at the Ass Arena, and that was the the uh, executive vice president for basketball, um, who oversees the whole tournament, and then the chair of the uh, of, of the selection committee, mm-hmm. uh, and and uh, excuse me, the vice chair, and and what they said was that with one seeds and two seeds, it's different. They're, they're going to geographically try to protect the top four seeds uh, in the first weekend. But when it comes to the second weekend, they're only really trying to geographically protect the one and two seeds. And the way it works is, the way it was explained to us, is the one seeds, you take your four one seeds and you rank them one through four. And you just go right down the list and you go and, and assign them to the closest regional to them, second weekend regional. Mm-hmm. So 
if Kansas is number one, they would go to Indianapolis. And if Gonzaga is number two, they'd go to L.A. And if uh, Dayton is number three, they probably would go to New York. And if Baylor's number four, they would go to Houston. And then they do the same thing with two seeds. And, and San Diego State should be the only West Coast two seed. I don't think Oregon, even if it wins the Pac-12 tournament, will, will get high enough to pass them. I mean, they're, right, they're, they're right. probably in that yeah, it's in the five or six range right now if you were to rank the teams uh, or the NCAA does. And so they'll, they'll almost certainly be, when they go down the list, the only West Coast team, and they'll send them to the West. Uh, and so that's, it, it, they should really end up in L.A. if the NCAA does what it says it does. Now, we've seen the NCAA Tournament Selection Committee before, and, and there's a lot of times there's head-scratching decisions, and they try to explain it afterwards. They're basically doing whatever they want to do rules aside or policies aside so we'll have to wait and see but that's the way it should go right and as far as teams to watch and for the aztecs to be a one seed if if they would even want to be although you know it's kind of a, a conflict and we've talked about it many times do you want to be a there's something about being a one seed that's that's really cool but would you rather be a one seed and have to travel to new york uh or would you rather be a two seed and you know take a bus to la but aside from that are there any teams we should be watching this week that would maybe cause the Aztecs to move up to a one seed? I would think Dayton in the Atlantic Ten tournament, and maybe maybe Baylor again. I mean, they've lost three yeah, out of Baylor they've lost loses, three out of five. Right. If Baylor loses in the first round of of the conference tournament to somebody who's not very good, uh, then I could see them dropping below the Aztecs. Um, but uh, you know, I, I think Baylor will probably stay ahead of them. Uh, or, or if they move down, someone would move ahead. Um, you know, Florida State could move in there into that top four, mm-hmm. and Baylor could be bumped to a, a two seed. I could see that happening. Um, you know, and so Florida State would be one team to watch. They're kind of the, the the best of the ACC right now, but they could get knocked off. Dayton certainly, if they take a bad loss, that might bump them back down. Um, you know, and they're, and they're really, you know, people say, what's the difference between a one and a two besides the the aura of being a one seed, you know, the one difference too, is you can get a pretty good team, uh, as a 15 seed now, because when the NCAA changed its format and they went to play in games for the 16 seeds, so four 16 seeds play and have playing games for two spots that bumped everybody down two notches. And so you've got a couple 14, what we used to be 14 seeds now becoming 15 seeds. Uh-huh. And, and so two of the 15 seeds are what used to be 14 seeds. And there's kind of a break there between the fifth 14 and the 15 14 are usually decent teams from mid major conference and East Tennessee state or something like that. Uh, maybe a big West team. Uh, and so you can run into a decent team uh, like a Hawaii was a few years ago uh, when they were pretty good. And, um, and so, or UC Irvine and those type of teams. And so they could run into a, at 15, they could run into a, a tougher team than if they were a one. And so that's something to keep an eye on too, uh, to see how things shake out. Uh, and so it, the, the first game might not be a gimme. They might actually have to work a little bit for it. Uh, and then in the second game, the difference between a one and a two is, you know, you're looking at an eight, nine seed if you're a one, uh, and two, it could be a seven or a 10. Those are all really pretty good teams. They're mostly right. power conference teams. And that's the game that, that Aztec fans should really have their eye on. That's going to be the, the tough game for me because they won't have played a team of that caliber since Thanksgiving, really, or Thanksgiving weekend. And just keep this in mind. Utah State, a team they just lost to, and it was a very close game, uh, is probably going to be an 11 seed. And you, you're looking at playing a seven or an eight, probably in the second round. 
uh, and that's a much better team. That's a, that's a significantly better team that they'll be looking at. So uh, it, it's going to be a tough, tough to get out of that first weekend. Of course, Virginia could tell you that there's some tough 16 seeds uh, as well <laughs> every, one, yeah. every once in a while. So the only other thing, and I, I just thought of this while you were talking about Baylor possibly getting knocked down to a two, and I wonder if this could possibly mess things up a little bit, but this is just one of those sort of out there type things. But let's say both Baylor, let's say that Florida State ends up as a one and goes to Houston as the one seed and Gonzaga is the one seed in L.A., would the committee look at San Diego State as a two going to L.A. two hours up the road? Obviously, a ton of Aztec fans would be there. Baylor would be a two seed looking at Houston. Would they put – you're kind of putting the one seeds at a – if you're the one seed, you're thinking, wait a minute, we're the one seed, and yet here's the two seed getting home, basically home court advantage. Uh, and I just wonder if somewhere – and if this shows up, I can claim that I thought of this, but I just wonder if – they might flop those two and say, you know what, we don't want to give the advantage to the two seed, so we're going to send San Diego State to Houston and we're going to send Baylor to L.A. I just Yeah, it's, it's a really good thought, and, and this is where they talk out of both sides of their mouth because we had the exact same scenario when they did their initial bracket projections and San Diego State was a one in the east and Duke was a two in the east, and they were asked uh, that exact question. Would you send Duke to, to the east still? knowing that they would have a huge advantage over San Diego State in terms of fan support and in terms of familiarity with the building. And the answer was, absolutely we would. We would just go, we have to keep the integrity of the seeds, and this is our system. Uh-huh. So uh, they're on record saying that. Okay. And, uh, and that is the chairman of the committee. So uh, it'll be very interesting to me to see um, if, if they did do that and flipped it, it would be the classic, you know, talking out of both sides of their mouth. But again... It's happened before. And people need to remember about the committee. The committee is not the same through all the years. It changes. There's 10 people on it, and people are always cycling off, and new people are cycling on. So it's this it's living, breathing change. It's like an amoeba. It just keeps changing, <laughs> and it's only 10 people. So the, the opinion or the policies or the, the procedures of those 10 people can also change. How much do they value NET, how much do they value Ken Palm, how much do they look at, you know, just quality wins, how much do they look at the full body work versus the last 10 games. All that stuff changes all the time, and so you can't definitively ever say, well, this is how they should act and will act. Can't right. predict it. Right. All right, well, the good thing is that on Sunday, sometime after between 3 and 3.30, we will we will find out, and you and I will come back and, uh, and talk about what happened and what's ahead on uh, probably on Monday of next week so everyone can uh, can look forward to that but until then everyone enjoy your uh, enjoy your week stay out of the rain and uh, enjoy all the basketball on TV and the selection show again is at three o'clock on uh, CBS on Sunday so we will talk to you next week